Hi, I'm Miranda Wright with HOWC Ministries. To learn more about our ministries, please visit us online at heartofworshipchurch.com. Can Christians be possessed? This is a question that I actually get asked quite often. And so today we're going to talk about this topic and try to clear some things up and bring you into a place of better understanding. There is a lot of confusion in the church world today concerning this topic, and I surmise that most of it stems from people having different definitions of what it actually means to be a Christian. The word Christian, by definition, means a follower of the teachings and example of Jesus the Christ. One who is of Christ. One who aspires to be like Christ. One who lives by the teachings of Christ. 1 John chapter 2 verse 3 says, And hereby we do know that we know him, if we keep his commandments. Yes, Jesus gave commandments. There are New Testament commandments that we were given under the new covenant. We must obey the teachings of Jesus to be truly considered, in God's eyes, a Christian. The passage continues, He that saith, I know him, but yet keeps not his commandments, is a liar. This is in the Bible, the word of God, not my opinion. It says, there is no truth in him. In other words, if you claim to belong to Christ and to be his, to be a Christian, but you do not do the things that he said, then you are simply a liar. Remember, Jesus himself said that on the day of judgment, it's not those who called him their Lord that will enter into the kingdom of God, but those who did the will of the Father that is in heaven, those who obeyed God's will, which was expressed to us through Jesus' teachings. The passage continues, says, But whosoever keepeth Jesus' words, in other words, lives by his teachings, In him, verily, is the love of God perfected. By this do we know that we are in him, because of the fact that he that saith that he abideth in him, ought himself also to walk, even as Christ walked. In other words, if you are living contrary to the teachings of Jesus, then you are not a Christian. But there's good news. That's why Jesus paid the price For our redemption, you can repent, which means turn away from your sin and wickedness, your rebellion, come into alignment with his teachings, choose to really believe not only in him, but what he said to actually believe him. And by putting your faith in his teachings and in what he did, and then begin to follow the leading of his Holy Spirit, which the Bible says comes to teach you about him and everything that he said to give you revelation and understanding and empower you by the grace of his spirit to walk in obedience to his commandments, then you will be a Christian. Again, we've got to throw away all of our prideful preconceived notions, all of the things that have been spoken to us by men who wanted to justify their sin and rebellion throughout the ages and get back to the teachings of Jesus because it's that doctrine that saves us. And it's the words that he gave us that are going to judge us on the final day to see whether or not we really believed, did we have faith? Therefore, if a person is following 
and is submitted to the teachings of Jesus, then he will be in right standing, standing with God and God with him. And when a man or woman is in that position, there is nothing that can overtake them. We know this from the story of Balaam in scripture that as long as the Israelites were obeying God's words, the enemy could not even curse them, much less possess them. After all, greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. So, then why do so many among the church seem to need deliverance? Many times over and over and over again. Does this mean that we are being deceived? The answer is yes. However, the deception is not where you might expect it. It's not that people are being deceived into thinking that they need deliverance. No, more often than not, they truly do need it. That is pretty evident. However, the great deception that this exposes is that many who think that they are in right standing are not. This should not surprise us as much as it does. After all, Jesus himself told us that most who thought that they were going to heaven were actually on the wide road of destruction in deception and were surprised themselves when they were rejected from gaining access to heaven in Matthew chapter 7. Right, this is the passage that we mentioned earlier when he said that on that day many will say, did we not do many wonderful works in your name? And he will say, depart from me, you are still working iniquity. You are still in sin and rebellion to my teachings. It's not those who claim me as their Lord that will get into heaven, but those who do the will of the Father which is in heaven. They thought they were going to make it. Right before this passage about the many who thought they were going to get in but really didn't, it tells you that very few will actually make it because the path is very narrow and very straight, but that many will be on the Broadway. These are the many. And this is very sobering because, again, it implies through the very words of Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, that most who think they are going to heaven will be rejected. Because they simply would not lay down their own will and concepts and do the will of the Father that's in heaven. They did a lot of good things. They were church folk. They even did them in his name. But they didn't do what they were told. And it's not the same. So, where is the problem? The problem is that the people didn't realize how easy it is to walk off of the narrow path of righteousness. As soon as you stop following the leading of the Holy Spirit, you will stray. And once you do, the enemy will overtake you. Even if it's only in one or two areas of faith, like the churches in the book of Revelation, they had a lot of things right. They did many good works and they believed in God. Yet they had areas of unbelief where they were not in agreement with the words of Jesus. So what happened? Jesus said that he was outside knocking to get in. He wouldn't share his glory with another. He told them to get rid of the sin, the false doctrine, and the errors, and then he would come in. Yes, there was still conviction. Jesus was still speaking to them. 
He was poking, prodding, and knocking at the door of their heart. But he was not indwelling because they had given another lordship. This can happen slowly through deception or in an instant through rebellion, which is the same as witchcraft because it is willingly choosing to follow the leading and instruction of another spirit. Take the ownership of your spirit serious. Who are you giving it to? Because the Bible says that whoever you obey, that's the master you choose. He says it in Romans chapter 6, verse 16, like this, Know ye not that to whom you yield yourself servants to obey, his servants you are to whom you obey, rather of sin unto death, or of obedience unto righteousness. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, No man can serve two masters. For you will either hate one and love the other, or else you will hold fast to one and begin to despise the other. You cannot serve both God and mammon. So one person can't be led by both Satan and the Holy Spirit. But they are both trying to influence. So you have a choice to make. And the real question is this. Who is on the outside and who is on the inside? If Jesus rules you, then he will indwell you. But the enemy will still be at the door knocking, trying to get back in, trying to get you in agreement with his lies, sin, and rebellion. Yet the moment you choose to agree with him and let that spirit in and any other spirit besides the Holy Spirit of Jesus, who will tell you not to listen, by the way, you will have to ignore him. You will have to move in rebellion To do what your flesh wants to obey the lies that the enemy is telling you. To come into agreement with him against the truth of scripture. Because the Holy Spirit's job is to reveal that to you. He will let you know what you're supposed to do. But you have to have enough faith to know that you need him to. And to seek the way of escape. You need to seek him. That's why scripture tells us that without faith it is impossible to please him. And that those who come to God must come to him knowing that he is God. And that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. If you really believe that he is who he is then you'll go to him. For the grace, the power, the wisdom, the answer, the revelation, the instruction, the leading of his Holy Spirit, you will have the faith to believe what he speaks. You will trust his decisions and wisdom, and it will cause you to be in right standing and to walk in paths of righteousness. But if you don't, if you put more faith in your wants or your emotions or the opinions of men and of demons, then you will be led off of that narrow path right onto the wide one with all the rest. If you let any other spirit lead you, you will grieve the Holy Spirit because he will not share his glory with another. The choice is yours, who you follow. And at this point, Jesus will be the one who is working externally, knocking at the door of your heart, trying to bring correction and conviction, exposing sin, calling you to repentance like he was to the churches in the book of Revelation. So don't think just because you're still being corrected that you're in right standing. You could be about to bust hell wide open and not even realize the depths of your rebellion. Yes, he loves you. 
That's why he's still trying to show you that you need to trust him. Repent and cry out for him to deliver you. John chapter 14, verse 15, Jesus said this, If you love me, keep my commandments. And I will pray to the Father, and he will give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever, even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it does not see him, neither does it know him. But you know him, for he dwelleth with you, and shall be in you. This was Jesus speaking, letting them know that the very Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the Comforter that was coming, he was going to make a way for him to indwell them. But it was only coming to those who would be willing to obey his teachings, his commandments, because this spirit, it's the spirit of Jesus. And he's not going to stay or he's not welcomed, reverenced, or respected. Oh, he loves you. He'll fight for you, but he's not sharing his house. He's not sharing his glory with another. You choose to let sin in and you choose the other lover. He'll be at the door knocking asking you to repent before it's too late and you have to face the final judgment in rebellion. In that same chapter in verse 21, Jesus tells them this, He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loves me. And he that loves me, they are the ones that shall be loved of the Father and I will love them and I will manifest myself to them. He was telling them, how the Holy Spirit would work, that his spirit would be released at his death and it would be manifested to those who loved him enough to keep his commandments. Now, we can't do it in and of our own strength, but if by faith we truly believe and we ask him to fill us and to empower us and to deliver us and to cleanse and forgive our mistakes and strengthen us, he will pour out the spirit of grace, which is his Holy Spirit, to do the impossible. He can deliver you from all bondage. The scripture says all of the powers of the enemy will be made subject unto those who believe. Verse 23, Jesus answered and said unto them, if a man love me, he will keep my words and my father will love him and we will come unto him and we will make our abode with him. He that loveth me not, keepeth not my sayings. And the words which ye hear are not mine, but the Father's that sent me. Again, Jesus tells us very clearly that if we are not obeying his teachings, if we are not doing what he said in the scriptures, the red-lettered words of Jesus, then we are not his, and he will not reside in us. You cannot be in willful sin and still house the Holy Spirit. Jesus very clearly tells us this when he told us that when the unclean spirits are gone out of a man, the only way for that to happen is for them to be replaced by a more powerful spirit. The Holy Spirit, the strong man, must first be bound before his house can be taken. Jesus said when the Holy Spirit comes in and the unclean spirits are gone out of that man, it says they will go out into dry places looking for something else to inhabit. But after a while, they come back and finding their house empty, in other words, That person has evicted the Holy Spirit 
by refusing to submit to its leadings as it revealed to them the teachings of Jesus. And it says at that point, that spirit comes back into the man, bringing seven of his friends with him, and the latter end of the man is worse than the first. That's what happens when someone claiming to be a Christian is possessed of other spirits. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 16 says, What agreement does the temple of God have with idols? We are the temple of God. For you are the temple of the living God. As God hath said, I will dwell in them, and I will walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, touch not the unclean thing, and then I will receive you, and will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord God Almighty. Again, it comes down to a decision because you see the key to all of this is as simple as agreement which spirit are you obeying which are you submitting and surrendering to daily which are you following the leading of which one are you in agreement with bring every thought into obedience to Jesus his words his teachings and the leading of his spirit as the scripture tells us if you have failed to do this in any area of your life then renounce it repent of it break agreement and turn away from it and you will receive deliverance You don't even need a man to lay hands on you to do it. It's done by the power of the Holy Spirit. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 verses 4 through 6 tell us this, that the weapons of our warfare are not physical, but they are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ and having in a readiness to revenge all disobedience once that your obedience is fulfilled. See that which you allow the Lord to overcome in you, he will then begin to move to overcome in others through you and understand that what we're talking about here doesn't even have to be any big dramatic visible sin it can be something as simple and subtle as not forgiving when the holy spirit convicts you to choosing to hold offenses to place blame on others for your spiritual state And not confessing your own faults as sin and claiming your own guiltiness. This is what Saul did when Samuel came to him and pointed out his sin and he just blamed it on everyone else. This is what Adam did. This is why they were not forgiveness. This is the difference between Saul and David's repentance. David took ownership and guiltiness for his sin and confessed it before God and acknowledged that he had hurt him and asked to be forgiven. He valued the Holy Spirit enough to plead with him not to take it from him. He knew he could lose it. He had watched it happen to Saul, who did once have it, but it was replaced by an unclean spirit. It drove him further and further down a path of madness. 
It can be something as subtle as not humbling to love the unlovely, the broken, the hungry, and the hurting. It can be not believing him when he speaks to you instructions unto obedience in something. It can be not giving up something that God asked you to walk away from and following the Spirit's leading to do his will over your own. We saw this example given in the story of the rich young ruler when he was asked to sell his belongings and to follow after Jesus. And he walked away. Jesus sorrowed over him, but he didn't run after him. He let him make his decision. The truth of the matter is, is that as simple and subtle as these few examples are, they are still all rebellion. For we were bought with a price, and our lives are not our own. For Cain, all it took was for him to agree with the thought of envy to give the enemy access. Even while God stood there and warned him plainly to guard his heart with all due diligence. We read of this account in Genesis chapter 4 verse 6. And the Lord said unto Cain, Why are you angry? And why is your countenance fallen? If thou dost well, shalt thou not be accepted? And if thou dost not well, then sin lieth at the door. You see, there's always one at the door trying to get in. The one that you agree with. And it's agreement that opens it. Proverbs chapter 4 verse 20, we read this. My son, attain unto my words. Incline thine ear unto my sayings. Let them not depart from thine eyes. Keep them in the midst of thine heart, for they are life unto those that find them, and health to all their flesh. Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. So let's ask the question again that we asked in the beginning. Can Christians be possessed? Well, it depends on your definition of a Christian, but by biblical definition, the answer is no. A true blood-washed, Holy Ghost-filled, humble, submitted, obedient child of the King cannot be possessed as long as they remain in right standing and don't choose to come into agreement with the enemy. But yes, a mere believer can. Herein lies the misunderstanding that most have. Many people would say that if they simply believe that Jesus is the Son of God, then you are a Christian. But we know from James, the physical brother of Jesus, who spent more time with him probably than any other person in Scripture, that even the demons believe this, and that it is not enough to simply believe. One has to also obey. In other words, you can't just believe in who Jesus is. You must also believe in what Jesus said. All of it. That's what it means to be saved by faith. To trust him in every single way. To truly make him your king. Not just in parts of your life, but in everything. Total surrender. Complete humility. 
if you come to him like this, then he will pour out his grace abundantly and set you free entirely because whom the son sets free is free indeed. We read in James chapter 2 verse 18, Yea, a man may say that thou hast faith and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that there is one God. You do well to believe this. The devils also believe and tremble. But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he had offered Isaac his son upon the altar? In other words, he was saying that there would not have truly been faith had he not obeyed what God had spoken. Seest thou how faith brought forth his works, and by works was faith made perfect, and the scripture was fulfilled, which saith, Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. Ye see then how that by works a man is justified, and not by faith only. Yes, that is in the word of God. I'm not making these things up. I'm reading to you the truth and giving you the full counsel of God's word. When you look at it only in part, you get confused and it doesn't make sense. But when you rightly divide it, put all the pieces together, you get the big picture and there's no more contradiction. John chapter 12, verse 48 says, He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words, he hath one that will judge him. The words that I have spoken, this is Jesus speaking, the same shall judge him in the last day, for I have not spoken them of myself, but the Father which sent me, he gave me a commandment, what I should say and what I should speak. And I know that his commandment is life everlasting. Whatsoever I speak, therefore, even as the Father said unto me, so do I speak. Jesus said that the commandments of God, the things that he spoke, will cause you, if believed and obeyed, to come into everlasting life. Therefore, Jesus said that on the final day, it was the words that he had spoken that would judge us. Our life would be examined, the fruit, the evidence of it to see if we truly believed, if we really had faith in what he had to say, knowing that he was the son of God, the messenger of heaven, and that everything he spoke came straight from God the Father, and we had to submit to it. Matthew chapter 7 verse 13, Jesus says this, Enter you in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go therein because that straight is the gate and narrow is the way that leads to life, then there are very few that actually find it. Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravaging wolves, wherefore by their fruits you shall know them. Why did Jesus tell us to be careful of false prophets and teachers who actually had inside of them another spirit? not the Holy Spirit. He said the fruits of the Spirit will show you whether or not there is a root of the Holy Spirit within them, but there will be those who look like part of the flock on the outside, but inside there's something different. Why did he warn us of this right after telling us of the narrow and the broad path? 
because these are the ones that are going to convince you that it's okay to sin and to not listen to God's words in its entirety. They're going to lead you off of the narrow path onto the wide one and lead you right into destruction. These are the ones that are going to deceive those that on the final day are going to say, did we not do many things in your name? And he's going to say, you were still working iniquity. You were still in sin and disagreement with my teachings. You're not getting in to the kingdom. So to put it quite simply, Jesus himself explains this to us when he said that he is the strongest strong man and cannot be overtaken by the enemy, but can overtake any enemy freely being given all authority. However, we have free will and can choose to grieve the Holy Spirit that he can depart from us, taking his candlestick with him as warned in the book of Revelations. So that if the house of our bodies be found of the enemy to be empty, then not only will that enemy come back, but he will bring more with him. And the latter end of the man will be worse than the first. And he may not even know it. Because those seven spirits that come back with him often come counterfeiting the Holy Spirit. Because those who know their word know that the Holy Spirit is also known as the seven spirits of God, as we read in Revelations chapter 1, verse 4, and Isaiah chapter 11, verse 2. I know this is a lengthy teaching, but the Holy Spirit wants to make this very clear to you. In Luke chapter 11, verse 20, Jesus said this, But if I with the finger of God cast out devils, then no doubt the kingdom of God cometh unto you. When a strong man armed keepeth his palace, his goods are in peace. But when a stronger than he shall come upon him and overcome him, he taketh from him all his armor, wherein he trusted, and divideth his spoils. Therefore he that is not with me, he is against me, and he that gathereth not with me, scattereth. When the unclean spirits are gone out of a man, he then goes and walks about through dry places, seeking rest. And finding none, he saith, I will return unto my house from whence I came out. And when he cometh, he findeth it swept and garnished. Then goeth he and taketh with him seven other spirits more wicked than himself. And they enter in and dwell therein. And the last state of the man is worse than the first. The reason Jesus gave this parable was to answer the very question that we're asking. He makes it very clear that the only way for a house to be overtaken is when a stronger spirit comes. Therefore, when the enemy is there, the Holy Spirit comes. He is the strong man. He will overtake it. He can kick the enemy out of it. The enemy cannot kick the Holy Spirit out. But you can choose to grieve and remove. That's why another passage he tells us, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. And give place to the enemy. My husband preached a message on this topic called no vacancies. 
because right after explaining that the strong man is the one that overpowers the weaker one and takes his home, he then talks about the spirits that leave, but they come back and find the house empty. If the strong man is not present, if you don't keep your temple full of the Holy Spirit, the enemy's coming back worse than he was. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 24, we read this. And that ye put on the new man, which after God was created in righteousness and in true holiness. Wherefore, putting away lying, speaking every man truth with his neighbor. For we are members one of another. Be ye angry, but do not sin. Because that will happen to everyone time and again, but do not sin. Do not allow the sun to go down upon your wrath. In other words, as soon as the emotion rises up, you must rebuke it and repent of it. Don't harbor it. Don't agree with it. Don't allow it to dwell and gain access. Because if you do this, the scripture says you give place to the devil. Let him that stole steal no more. But rather let him labor, working with his hands the things which are good, that he may have to give to him that is in need. Let no corrupt communications proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you were sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, and be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake." Hath forgiven you. So in short, don't assume that you don't need deliverance simply because you believe in Jesus. Yet don't be afraid of being overtaken if you know that you are in right standing. Seek the Lord who desires that all men be set free and brought to repentance. If something is shown to manifest, renounce agreement with it and ask also for God to show you how it gained access. Where was the unbelief or disagreement with the truth? Because he is more than willing to show you with all clarity. That's why the Holy Spirit was given in the first place, to lead you into all truth and to purge you of all unrighteousness. God really does love you more than you could ever know or imagine. He was willing to sacrifice to make this gift available to you. Don't waste or forsake it. Come humbly and receive the grace needed to be set free. Just seek him, believe him, and be transformed by him. Such is the power of our risen Lord, Redeemer, Savior, Deliverer, and mighty warrior, God and King. He is worthy of all of our praises. He is able to save us. Put your faith in him. And ask him. John chapter 6, verse 13 says, Howbeit, when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he shall show you things to come. He shall glorify me, Jesus says, for he shall receive of mine and show it unto you. He is willing and able to reveal the truth. Of this same Holy Spirit, 
Jesus tells us in John chapter 16, verse 8, that when he comes, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. In Titus chapter 2, verse 11, of this Holy Spirit, yet again, the spirit of grace and the power that it gives us, it says, for the grace of God that brings you to salvation has appeared and been made available to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly right now in this present world. He empowers us to do it. In James chapter 1 verse 5, it says, if any man lack wisdom, let him ask God, who is willing to give it to all men liberally and holds back not, and it shall be given him. We have to humble ourselves and recognize that we need it, but if you ask, you shall receive it. Zephaniah chapter 3 verse 17 says, The Lord thy God in the midst of thee is mighty, and he will save. He will rejoice over thee with joy. He will rest in his love. He will joy over thee with singing. God is mighty to save. He desires that you be set free. He was willing to suffer and sacrifice and pour out all the resources of heaven to give you the ability to walk away from the oppression and depression and all the power and temptation of the enemy. But you have to believe him and receive it. You have to break agreement with all the lies that the enemy has been speaking, you have to believe the words of Jesus and choose to live by them daily. If there is anything that the enemy has spoken or any area that you have walked away from the leading of the Holy Ghost, you must repent of it. The word sin is failure. It's a failure to keep his commandments. I'm not talking about Old Testament rituals. Jesus fulfilled much of it. But everything that Jesus said in the New Testament is still a New Testament commandment. We still have to obey it. We still have to flee fornication and lust and pride and trying to live our own lives the way we see fit, self-willedness. We have to surrender to him and the leading of his spirit every single moment. That's the narrow path. That Jesus came to show us. He had to walk it himself as our example. But then he released his Holy Spirit to us to empower us, to do it, to lead us, to guide us, to convict us, to knock at the door of our heart and whisper those corrections when we begin to stray and leave that path of righteousness. He's saying to many of you today, come back. You're not in right standing. You know the enemy has been speaking and leading you. You know you have been in agreement with wickedness and sin and rebellion and things that will bring you into damnation at the judgment. Today is the day of salvation. Now is the hour. Now is the appointed time. Answer the call while he is still speaking because you're not promised tomorrow. Stop thinking that just because you believe in him You're going to get into heaven. It's time to reverence the person of the Holy Spirit. Repent. And have enough faith to start being obedient. And even if the devil tries to tell you it won't work, you've tried. It's because you tried in your pride to do it your own way. Today, you don't try to win this fight. You simply come and surrender. Fall down at the feet of Jesus. 
and ask him to deliver. This message was brought to you by HOWC Ministries. To learn more about our ministries, please visit us online at heartofworshipchurch.com.